Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Sarah Seibert. Joining me today are Holly Jowers, the Program Executive Officer for the Program Executive Office, Defense Healthcare Management Systems, and Bill Tinson, Director of the Federal Electronic Health Record Modernization Office. And we are live from HIMSS 2023. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, so Holly, we spoke last year at HIMSS 2022. Since the full year that we've seen each other. What are the latest updates with the federal EHR rollout? Well, I'm really excited. Uh, Dude, we just completed another wave uh, at the National Capital Region. So uh, we used Walter Reed in Fort Belvoir. And that marked, gosh, I think our 17th wave of deployment. And we are 81% complete uh, with the deployment activity. And uh, looking forward to Wright Pat uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base uh, wave coming up uh, in June, and then Oconus. So uh, we're going to Europe and the Pacific in the fall. So I'm pretty excited about that from a deployment perspective. And then from capability rollout, mm-hmm. we were able to uh, look at a revenue cycle expansion capability all the way through for all the sites that are live uh, with MHS Genesis. So that gets us to be able to understand really sort of the cost of care and capture other health insurance and other claims activities. And we'll start to be able to do some analysis with that. So that is uh, a major capability add uh, that we brought to the table in the last year. So, I mean, I could probably go on and on about the things we do each month, but that's that's like my big news. What you didn't say is that the system as a whole, the the, the common federal EHR is up to, what, 160,000 users, six and a half million patients are being seen with it. Uh, there's three different departments. The VA's got five sites live. DOD is nearly done with their their, their domestic sites. Um, uh, and, and we have the Coast Guard in, uh, all of their shoreside sites. That's not new, but we do have NOAA. The, the new part is NOAA coming in. And and while the VA figures out where they're going in the future, which which is right, they've expressed their commitment to getting the joint sites right and, and the James A. Lovell Federal Health Care Center in North Chicago. Interesting that we're in Chicago yeah, that's, right. that's nearby. Um, so I expect that to be the next, and it coincides very well with the, the, the Wright-Patterson wave that Holly's doing. It's part of that group of sites. So as we get to North Chicago and we implement that set of harmonized workflows, right? We're going to start there um, and create the ability for the two health systems to be interoperable. And getting back to the core of why we're all doing this, common record is that interoperability, not just from a, a, not just creating the single record about the patient, not where the care was delivered or who delivered it, but the ability of the two health systems themselves to support one another in the ways they decide to and make places like North Chicago as effective as possible. Right. That's super exciting. And I feel like throughout the whole week, it has been about interoperability and harmonizing those systems so that, you know, patient care improves with the speed that you And what we're doing with a common record is at its core interoperable because it's a single record. Right. And as you look at it, I, you probably have questions on this and I'll I'll be (laughs) jumping ahead, but as you look at this and how we're tied through, through the joint health information exchange and what seamless is going to do is we bring that in, we're going to end up with really a complete record about a person. Right. um, Bringing all the elements uh, of their health history together uh, so that good decisions can be made uh, by physicians 
uh, and clinicians regarding their care going forward. Yeah, that's amazing. And you are reading my mind. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll jump into the uh, Joint Health Information Exchange in a little bit. But uh, last year, you spoke about change management and taking the boots on the ground approach. Is that still a top priority for you all? Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things I want to stress is that change management doesn't stop with deployment. And so uh, really we just start. Yeah. And, and it's we've been able to leverage great leadership on the ground. I talked, I think last time I probably talked to, I think the words maybe I used were secret sauce, right? Yes. Leadership <laughs> on the ground. I mean, every day it's like, how are you able to do this? Because we've had leaders at each site and each location that really view this as a no-fail mission and understand the value that it's bringing to the table. And they pool their resources to make sure that we get through deployment. But that's just beginning of it. So how do we ensure that as personnel change out, as new capabilities come along, how do we look at maximizing the use of that system? And part, so much of that is change management, right? It's not just training. It's understanding the why are you doing it? Um, are we maximizing our workflows to, to, to the greatest extent possible? Uh, so we're, you know, what we can do now that we couldn't do before was really look at data in terms of how are people using the system. So we can talk about data and all the great things we can do for decision-making space, but just if we turn it on an inward, you know, turn the lens inward and look at how are um, our providers using the system, we can start to see, are they taking advantage of the time-saving um, activities that come along with, I don't know, things like favorites or all the, there's a bunch of tools and techniques that help them be able to see more patients and spend less time documenting and more time actually having the conversation with the patient. So, um, you know, one metric we're looking at is um, after hours charting, and we jokingly call it pajama time, yeah. right? So we're looking at that and saying, okay, we're at about three and a half percent on average. And so you can look at an average and say, okay, is there a particular department? Is there a particular specialty or a location where maybe we can dig into that and say, you know, what can we do to help people figure out how to operate more efficiently? Because we find that people, the more efficient they are with the EHR, uh, the more satisfaction you get, the more time you spend with patients. And so that's just one small example of how we can use the data to look um, at the you know, how we're operating as a health system. And then the next steps really, you know, I think I get most excited about, you know, how we're starting to take that data to, to actually, I'll say, change, change behaviors, right? So looking at population health, looking at cohorts of people, but it really starts with the workflow and it starts with getting people to adopt that workflow. And, you know, it's hard. We all get kind of stuck in, this is how, how I've done it. Or um, if something doesn't like, go how you have in your head, uh, you know, maybe finding workarounds. So a lot of our effort right now is focused on how can we help people improve adoption? And then as we bring on new capabilities, what's the right way to reach them? Because it isn't necessarily always a classroom, right? What's the best way? Is it rounds? Is it safety briefs? You know, what's the right way to, to reach that, that format? So that's the stuff we're working on. With the now. delivery of the system, you're changing all of those conversations yeah. to favorite term in the field, right? It, they become evidence-based conversations because right. you know how your health system was performing before. You know what your workflows were accomplishing for you. You know where the stress points were in the process. And when you make changes, instead of he said, she said, I like it this way. No, I like it this way. You get, <laughs> well, this way we save time and we get better patient outcomes. And we have that evidence because we're able to collect it. So did 
did, I, did all the workflows get implemented perfectly on the DOD side? Probably not. I mean, I would assume not. But they, no, now, have the, could, yeah. they now have the evidence to make different decisions as they go forward and support those. Right? And yet you started this with change management, and, and this, is, this is a downstream piece of it. The upstream is that change leadership. And what does that look like? And, uh, and, and that's how this all has to start is uh, as an organization – and this isn't just true in an EHR, it's, it's true in any enterprise implementation. You have to look beyond the IT. It's not an IT implementation. It's a change in the way you do business. It's a change in the evidence and the awareness you have of what your business is, whether it's healthcare or something else. And collecting all of that, aligning your business to work in that way, understanding the ramifications across the enterprise uh, at the top, and then cascading that all the way down so you get that local uh, site hospital leadership that is part of pushing this and making it successful and who's excited about the prospects of the future because they have that evidence to make the right decisions as they go forward. So it's, I mean, it's, this is the key, getting yes. it right from the top, um, that change leadership. And I sometimes will use change leadership instead of change management. Change management is a lot of activities that you do to bring people along and make them aware that leadership, that understanding fundamentally as an organization of the journey that you're embarking on is key to succeeding in getting somewhere, getting where you want to get in that journey. And I would say having the fortitude to keep forward motion, right? So, cause there's, we're a learning organization where there's going to be hiccups along the way, but it's, what do we identify? And I, I'm going to borrow I'm going to steal your phrase about, you know, lessons observed. How do we make it applied? Like, how do we, how do we turn it yeah, we into something? We observe lots we of observe lessons. lots of things. How do we turn it into something that we're actually saying, okay, this is how we're going to change how we're doing business. Right. And I, you know, I, I talked about the NCR, the National Capital Region, just going live, but I have to give kudos when I, when I really say the leadership is the secret sauce, the leadership on the ground there made it our smoothest deployment to date. And identifying things that um, maybe they had been able to invest in or look at there, then we can scale to the enterprise, right? So that's really what it comes down to. So they and great I, leadership. I was really worried about national capital because my parents get their health care at Belvoir and, and Walter Reed. So I figured I'd get kicked back. In the <laughs> yes. And I haven't heard any complaints yet. Yes. Awesome. Well, that's a good sign. <laughs> Well, Bill, you mentioned uh, Noah joining the EHR and uh, VA making some new strides. Uh, so how are you leveraging these lessons learned? I attended a session yesterday with Laura Pertula getting VA's take, for example, and she was talking about like implementing the baseline of best practices. So not doing anything super fancy, but just getting the best practices and implementing those to start. So how are you helping other agencies do that and... Uh, well, it's it's actually, it's a little different than I think some people imagine it is because the DOD has made so much progress. I often get asked, how are you assuring, uh, how can you assure us that the lessons the DOD has learned are being shared with the VA or being shared with NOAA or being shared with the Coast Guard or whomever? It's really multidirectional. Every implementation has its own set of things to learn. Uh, Coast Guard was a great example because they went live at the height of COVID and the restrictions on travel and number of people in our room. So they had to devise entirely new strategies that hadn't been used anywhere else for delivering training. Well, that's influenced everyone else's training plan. Uh, they're, they're not the same, but they're influenced by the things that the Coast Guard was able to learn uh, given the time that they, they deployed and the conditions during that time. So we at the firm 
use we charter most of the change uh, boards and, and the CCB and so forth. That's all uh, co-chaired by the DOD, VA, and, and the firm and chartered the firm. But very, very uh, intentionally, we have um, a, a lessons learned uh, process where we get together weekly. So lessons are learned every single day by a thousand different people having <laughs> conversations. Let's just be clear about that. Yeah. We don't document all the lessons because they're conversations that people have. But we do very deliberately get together to document the big lessons, right? Uh, we get all the partners together, including the contractor partners, because they're a key piece of this. And we document opportunities and lessons and how to uh, how to promulgate that to other folks and change and influence uh, plans as they emerge going going forward. So we have a very, very, very uh, disciplined process to get that done. Well, gosh, I mean, we obviously participate in it from a formal perspective. Um, we consider, you know, as a learning organization, every wave we do, we learn and try to work that into the next wave. And we share those uh, with the group, but really almost it's, it's internally, right? It's how do we not learn the same thing twice, yeah. right? <laughs> right? We've done it. Okay, got it. Next time we'll we'll do something different, better. And how do we continue? And like I said, that's that forward motion. So you're continually evolving, getting better and better each time. And so that really held true for how we deploy. And so now how do we take that same lens to actually operate in the system? And how do we look at things like learning from, you know, our trouble ticket management processes, uh, hearing from the field of what they you know, want service requests, change improvement type activity. So how do we take that same mindset of saying, hey, we got really good at this from a deployment process perspective. Now, how do we take that same approach to um, the next phase, which is really operating the system and maximizing it? And so it's interesting when you talk about the baseline and and that's one of the first things I say is, you know what, we're at the end of the beginning. So people are like, oh, are you done with, you're almost done with deployment. I'm like, oh no, we're yeah. at the end of the beginning. Like we are, like this is really, it's an important milestone and I do not want to downplay it, but it's about getting that baseline capability out, right? Getting those best practices, getting enterprise standards. And then when you've got everybody operating on those standards, it's so much easier to innovate because you're raising the floor for everyone. You're like, wow, there's this great idea over here. Now, how do we scale that to everybody? And you're improving it across the board and maximizing the value you're getting as opposed to there's a lot of great ideas and a lot of great things happening, but they were pockets of excellence. And so now we can do that. And I think that's really what I'm excited for the next phase. And and I'll kind of jump out in my brain. Um, I imagine you're going to ask, hey, you know, so what's next, right? Yeah. So my brain is the next thing, looking at user, user experience. Right. So getting that the one of the first things is baseline. Okay. We get the baseline out. We have that capability out there. Now we can look at how do we optimize workflows? What's the biggest bang for the buck? Can we make them more user-friendly? Can we make them more intuitive? And that's from the provider aspect, but really shifting focus to the patient aspect. So if this is a record about the patient, how do we make it easy for the patient to access their information, intuitive to get appointments? Those things are really sort of also user enhancements that we need to kind of shift and pivot to. But we, it's, it's very challenging to do those while you're also getting a baseline yeah. out. So I think that's kind of the next phase we're going into is at least, um, you know, in working with the health system and what are their concerns? We really need to understand what are the patients looking for? Um, how do we look at this sort of virtual first philosophy, right? What are the right things that we need to do to enable that? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so so the reason that you see the success at DOD, as I'm an observer sometimes, yes. <laughs> is that 
uh, and Holly downplays this. Uh, <laughs> they don't treat anything like it's routine. So she mentioned they just completed their 17th uh, deployment, which is awesome. So they're really good at it. Um, if you talk to the PM, Colonel Sheets, or you talk to Holly, the reason they go well is they don't treat any of them like they're routine. So they look routine to those of us observing. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome to witness. Now, the other thing that I heard from Holly, and I think the end of the beginning is a great phrase. It's also a really good Winston quote Churchill. by Harry Turtle. Turtle Good point. <laughs> um, um, see, now you lost my train or I lost my train of thought. <laughs> All of that work that she's talking about going forward, uh, the rest of the, the story after the, the beginning uh, is enabled by getting this common record out there in these common workflows. You can now see if somebody's not adopting the workflows, using the workflows, and, and you can see they're getting different outcomes, better or worse, by not following the workflow. You can look at you talked about pockets of excellence. You can look at those pockets of excellence and decide whether they're practices that are worth promulgating uh, across the organization. But you can see them from a system perspective and see where the impacts are elsewhere. Are they adding stress in other places in the organization? And is it good stress? Do we need to add people here because we really like doing it this way? Or the decision not to do it that way was a good one because overall the process in the system works better if I don't don't have that kind of operation happening here. So, so getting that in place so that you can see what you're doing, drive the changes, measure the changes, argue reasonably from an evidence-based perspective for the changes that you need is is uh, that's where we are, and it's where the the DoD is able to go forward from here. Right, that makes a lot of sense, and there are a lot of good quotes. I liked not learning the same lesson twice. <laughs> um, so you guys have obviously done this before. I think you uh, guessed my next two questions. <laughs> so how are you working with other agencies within the federal EHR journey to bolster data sharing with the Joint Health Information Exchange? So the, the JHIE or the Joint Health Information Exchange is pretty amazing what the two departments have accomplished there. Both departments, VA, DOD, had health information exchange capabilities. Uh, uh, probably VA's was, was more mature. Uh, certainly it included more partners when they began. We're at the point now where through the national and the regional health information exchanges, we're connected to really all of them that I'm aware of. And I, I had that last part because whenever I say we're connected to all of them, somebody corrects me. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway, uh, all of them that I'm aware of. So we have that bi-directional information exchange uh, about the, the people that uh, the DOD, the VA, and the Coast Guard serve, right? the, the Americans that they serve, the military members, the veterans, the Coast Guard, it's men and women. We, we have that information, and we have it bi-directionally. And we continue to, at this point, actually, we are the world's largest combined, DOD and VA, the world's largest exchanger of health information. Wow. Yeah. It, it's pretty yeah, amazing. massive. And so what happens <laughs> as we go forward is, and Lance Scott's here at HIMSS. If you had an opportunity yes. to listen to him, he's much more articulate than me <laughs> on the topic. Uh, but he's driving improvements in the interfaces and the data that we're getting so that it becomes more computable so that we can request it by domain, so that we can build the capability to put the relevant information in a usable form in front of a clinician. But frankly, it's not only clinicians. It's whoever needs to use it. It could be on the benefit side on VA. Um, we put the information in front of people in the workflow so that they can make the right decisions 
that they need to make the best decisions they can and not bury that information in an avalanche of extraneous information that they don't need to see. Because then you miss it. You might as well not give it to them if you've hidden it uh, uh, in a pile of uh, other information. I was going to say, there's been a lot of talk here about AI and doing other things. And so one of the things that uh, Lance Scott and the team had worked on um, that were getting ready to release full scale, but really an NLP, I mean, again, basics of AI, right? Not super complicated, but basics of natural language processing to be able to look through all of this data and pull out that relevant information. So you might return, you know, hundreds of records on someone, right? And so how do you sift through that and make it meaningful if someone's um, looking at, at someone's you know, longitudinal history? So that's just a small example of, hey, we got all these mountains of data. How do we determine what's relevant and how can we use the tools that that will and, and, um, reduce the amount of time? So that's how we make the data more useful yeah. and make it information, right? That's decision quality. Uh, another thing we're doing, and this is getting all the information and that record about the person, is the seamless exchange. When we bring that in, it does, uh, it dedupes your inf information. It has provenance, so you know where it came from. You know that this information came from that health system on that day about this person, and it commits it from trusted sources to this common record about the patient that we're creating. So at this point, and I used to scoff when people would say, is it a complete record? I'm like, well, it's complete for the work that was done in the military system or in the VA system or even combined at this point with trusted partners. We will have a complete record or as complete as, as we can get given much more complete than we've ever had yes. before. I'll put it that way. <laughs> And I think that's very exciting because when you talk and you hear Holly and it's been talked about at this conference, when you hear people talk about AI and the new tools and you, you got to start from having the data because if you're not starting from a, a complete set of data about a person and their health experience, then you're probably not going to make the right decisions, whatever tools that you're using. Speaking of that, so I'm going to jump to when you talk about things we're excited about, this is a little different from health information exchange, but when you talk about having a complete record about the person, one of the things that we have been unable to really capture in the past is a military member's deployed uh, health record, right? So we've been able to get pieces and portions of it. Right. A lot of it was paper. And so I'm not saying it wasn't carried, but not not in electrons, right? Not yeah. computable data that, that could be It was be hard used. to use information. It, it hard, existed, right. but it, it was existed, hard to use. Right? But, right, someone's carrying it back with them, right? right. And so uh, we are embarking um, to release a suite of tools uh, of applications that will um, actually capture looking at everything from use cases at point of injury where you have a really light footprint uh, ability to capture information uh, all the way to, from in, to in route care to a complicated sort of field hospital environment. And how does that carry back? And so, you know, we need to look at austere environment, low com, no com, and which presents obviously IT challenges. But we have a data backbone that we're putting in place to be able to capture that. So you can store and forward. You can capture that information and then transmit it when you have access and actually point to point capability as someone's doing a handoff in theater. So imagine someone is injured and they're coming back to a forward operating base and, you know, the next level of care needs to take over. Well, they'll be able to actually transmit that electronically uh, without necessarily having to use web capability, right? So that's exciting because we for a couple of reasons, obviously the healthcare that's actually happening in that space, right? And for it to be able right, to know what it is, better informed, better informed data, you know, capturing the data they need for future use. Right. And, and getting that ahead to the next level of care. So when they receive a patient 
um, through patient um, transfer, they're able to look at it and go, oh, wow, I know this happened. But then even better, we're able to get that into the longitudinal health record for long-term care, especially for our service members that might have traumatic brain injury or other things that can get into the registry. It could, I mean, we could well, start to inform all kinds of health If we're going to talk about registries, you can't leave out what I think is one of the most exciting things we can do there, which is exposure information, right? That's where many of the exposures that are important into uh, uh, military members in a veteran's history happen is in a deployed environment. And and it's not all there. And the tools that Holly's team is building are amazing. And they will bring that. I think they will have the ability to bring that forward. And it's important because a lot of the information about the deployments are information that you don't share. So how do you get the exposure information, bring it forward into the regular record presented in the workflows? And I think we're driving towards that. And I think that's going to you know, position both departments to deal with exposure and then the benefits associated with exposure. I would say the other example is, you know, on the, from the seamless transition of someone from active duty to a veteran status, and now you've got a complete picture of their, their health record to help with benefits. And the other thing worth noting, this partnership, this federal partnership between VA and DOD has benefits that I think people didn't even anticipate. So what Holly just described was a deployed medicine solution. Well, what did she really describe? She used the words. It's, it's a set of capabilities to present data to providers, to whoever is providing health care, uh, capture information during the encounter, save that information back into the record in an environment with different technical characteristics. Well, what if those different technical characteristics were in rural America someplace? Just a disconnected place. It doesn't have to be deployed military uh, people. It can be... You know, it could be in, in Iowa or right. in your <laughs> exactly. state. It could be in, in Fairfax County, Virginia, but there's for some reason there's no there's no connectivity. And we've had situations like this recently. Remember when we, at the beginning of COVID, when we were setting up the ships in the field hospitals in various places in the country, and then we were trying to figure out how we're going to how we're going to present the information that that physicians needed in those in those uh, temporary hospitals, and so. This is the kind of place where I can imagine the capabilities that DOD is creating used uh, in other contexts. Right. Yeah, that is super cool. And I can definitely see that closing the digital divide. That's like music to my ears. My uh, fun fact of the week is that I grew up on a horse farm with no Internet till 2016. So, <laughs> um, well, it's funny that you mentioned the NLP pilot because I right before you walked in, I was writing up coverage of Lance's session from yesterday. So and you mentioned improvements to patient experience, a new suite of tools. Uh, you guessed the question. Is there anything in 2023 that we should keep an eye on? Yeah, I think it's really, like I said, it's focused on um, things that we can improve the patient um, experience going forward. What what do we need out of a patient portal? What are the ways that we can improve um, the capability in that interface? Um, we are looking, uh, I mean, specific to, to the EHR. I'm also um, engaged in... In the data space, we have what we call the MHS Military Health System Information Portal. And we are, I think we have about 130 different sources of data in that. And so how do we start to combine this data into secondary information together and start to look at wellness as a whole, right? So some of there is clinical, but then how do we start to 
involve other data sources to really get a complete picture or look at population health or health surveillance activities. And so those are um, activities that we are really engaged in and to start to connect and use that data. One of the highest priorities for us is look at readiness, obviously, from a military perspective. Like, what are the elements that contribute to a service member being ready and fit for duty? Um, how do we manage that process? And then how do we bring that back into a workflow into the clinical setting so that they understand what the the decisions that are being made clinically and the impacts of that on readiness. And um, and then the flip side of that is having the medical force, so our doctors, nurses, providers, I mean, being able to uh, have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to do what they need to do when they deploy. And so we're looking at connecting that data and I, I'm, I'm pulling that back in so that we can validate that they're getting this sets and reps, for lack of a better word. Right. I mean, I don't know yeah. if you think about it from a workout perspective, but you know what I mean? Getting those sets and reps to say, hey, I, I know how to do this and I'm ready for when I'm in an environment where I may be uh, solo or with a very small team to be able to operate. So those are kind of, I would say, bigger picture things that we're looking at beyond just uh, improvements in the EHR. Obviously, we do uh, block upgrades uh, twice a year. Um, and then we do monthly we call them cubes, but monthly, like a smaller release updates uh, where we um, really get to look at user impact. And so we have a full slate of things, just like any IT program, right? You're constantly working through that backlog of things that you want to uh, get out there and improve. And so we've got our next major block upgrade in August, and we're going to... Um, we're able to take commercial upgrades. So this is, I mean, I don't talk about this enough about the benefits of having a commercial system. I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, is it right? Is it the right fit? And one of the huge advantages we have is being able to keep up with the state of the market. So as the commercial system responds to demand, right? It's evergreen. We're always getting that. And then it's really symbiotic because there are things that we have discovered and invested in that are relevant to the commercial market. And I think I've talked about this probably before on, on, on talks. It's the like mass readiness platform. When we're looking at mass vaccinations and how we in process large groups of people, there is an application of that, especially when it comes to disaster preparedness or like at large vaccination efforts like COVID, right? It was, um, and so we were able to look at what are we doing and how is that going to benefit the commercial market? Um, one thing that we have in the works right now is enterprise telecritical care, and that is 24-7 monitoring of an ICU. Well, it isn't, unique. I mean, there's other hospital systems that are doing that, but as we're integrating it with the EHR, so looking at the waveforms that are, are happening, so when someone's monitoring and how are we capturing that data real time, so someone's not having to fat finger um, certain, um, you know, strips of information, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, and that the, the um, EHR can capture that data real time and then provide that picture so that we can look at maximizing staffing for ICU. So we can provide that that support uh, when there's surge capabilities. Um, our partnership with the VA, this is going to enable us to leverage their their, what we call their fourth mission. But if for some reason the DOD needed support, VA is actually there to help uh, support that mission as well. And having a common solution for this enterprise telecritical care really will help us get to the point um, where we can um, have more interoperability in that space. Having a common solution and being interoperable, which is why all of this started, right? That's why there's a single record so that it's the fourth mission. It's, it's getting the two departments health systems to work as well together as they can is, is, is going to be, that's a critical thing uh, that yeah. we're trying to accomplish here. And I look forward to that. 
going forward. But you asked, you asked what to look for coming up. I think you're going to see, I think really three things. And by the time I get to the end, I'll probably only remember two, or maybe I'll <laughs> go to five. But I think three things that you're going to see. Right? You're going to see what Holly was just describing, and that is the maturity, maturity you know, the maturing of the system of the system and the use of it, of the workflow, of the health system, uh, settling into a new set of tools, understanding the tools, and then asking Holly's team to change the tools and reconfigure the tools because they're looking across the system and they know it needs to be done differently. And then that's going to, that's going to carry across to the VA and you're going to see the VA because uh, I'm going to get to this in a second, joint sites, you're going to see the VA say, well, we need to align our common system this way. That way we can have this exchange of information or patients. Because in many cases, people are seen in both systems. And that's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, you're going to see a focus, not just from us at the firm, because you hear me talk about it all the time, but you're going to see the DOD team and Holly as they get to their Wright-Patterson wave. And you're going to see the VA and Mr. Kiyakawa, the, the, the Deputy Secretary of the VA, expressed this when he was up in North Chicago recently, that the VA is committed to the joint sites, strongly committed, committed to getting North Chicago right as the first joint site being done and the most integrated site, and getting that done uh, as soon as possible, right? It's actually, to a certain degree, holding DOD up because um, they want to get that last recruit center uh, deployed and, and get, capture those recruits when they come in. And the, and the Naval Training Center is part of the North Chicago facility and those new recruits. So I think you're going to see a lot of focus on the joint sites. It's going to drive the joint workflow work. Um, it's going to create opportunities that are going to roll back into the regular system. It's only one system, but into all the other sites and provide opportunities for the people, the leadership at those facilities and the national leadership of both health systems to make decisions about how to support one another better. I had the opportunity to sit in some of the, the joint meetings, um, and, and in, in, in one joint meeting that the DOD and the VA have at very senior levels, there's always conversations, and I've also seen it in the NDAA, about how they share facilities and work better together, and Pensacola keeps coming up. Um, Pensacola, I guess, there's an old Navy hospital. VA needs additional facilities in the region, so they're trying to figure out how to make that work. And there's lots of things to that, but getting the record right, getting the data right, and, and making it such that you can share patients and orders and labs and imaging and all of that between the two organizations is really where I think, from a, from a federal perspective and a better healthcare across all of these health systems, you're going to see real movement in the, in the coming year. And I think I said three, and I only did two. So there you go. <laughs> That's all right. Those well, were two yeah. great ones. There's a lot happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, it's exciting. I mean, it I, is, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm. Well, I do remember a third one. Oh, we're going to see. <laughs> well, see, you know, Oracle being one of the key partners here. And right. if you've watched any of the hearings, and I'm sure you haven't, but I have. And there's been a lot of conversations from Oracle about what their technology can bring forward, what their experience. I mean, they, they were in a different sort of similar but different business than Cerner was. And I think there are opportunities. Uh, we don't know what they're all going to look like, but, you know, move, movement to the cloud, very exciting. Uh, I've heard phrases like modern stateless web application, very, very exciting. I know they're very focused on 
uh, and it was a joint set of requirements from DOD and the VA. They're very focused on creating pharmacy capabilities that mirror mirror the mission that the VA and the DOD have, which is really different than you get in the commercial space. Right. Right. You don't have hospitals that also do retail pharmacy. And, and having had this experience with family a lot lately, they send you they send you home with, I don't know, five days of medicine, and then you have to go yeah. to your regular doctor, get it re-prescribed, and get your medication. Right. So, so DOD and VA don't work that way. So with Oracle working on doing the of helping with the, the pharmacy capability, I think you're going to see a lot of technical change and um, functional change so that the products meet uh, the needs of the federal space better. Right. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to look forward to. And I have been watching the hearing, so I'll be tracking well, them along the way. <laughs> you, me, and Holly, <laughs> only people watching some of those hearings. <laughs> but yeah, thank you again for uh, joining me today. It was great to learn more about the uh, rollout and where you all are headed in the future. And I will see you tomorrow. I'm sure I'll be tuning into your session as well. Yeah, so. you mentioned it's been a year, so let's not make it a year <laughs> yeah. next time. Yeah, this yeah, is an exciting to topic to talk about about it. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to yeah. do it with us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform, And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. If you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.